32, standard, i.e. a 10 margin over the joint strength of the two next powers, the expense of maintaining such a floating armament must be colossal, and until within the decade 1890-1900 it was borne exclusively by the taxpayers of the United Kingdom, as the benefits of United Empire had become more consciously appreciated in the colonies, and the value of the fleet as an insurance for British commerce has been recognized. A desire has manifested itself on the part of the self-governing colonies to contribute towards the formation of a truly imperial navy. In 1895 the Australasian colonies voted a subsidy of L126.000 per annum for the maintenance of an Australasian squadron, and in 1897 the Cape Colony also offered a contribution of L30.000 a year to be used at the discretion of the imperial government for naval purposes. The Australian contribution was in 1902 increased to L240.000, and that of the Cape to L50.000, while Natal voted L35.000 a year and Newfoundland L3000. But apart from these comparatively slight contributions, and the local upkeep of colonial fortifications, and the beginning in 1908-1909 of an Australian torpedo boat flotilla provided by the Commonwealth, the whole cost of the Imperial Navy, on which ultimately the security of the Empire rested, remained to be V.04P.0614 borne by the taxpayers in the British Islands. The extent of this burden was emphasized in 1909 by the revelations as to the increase of the German and the Allied Austrian fleet. At this crisis in the history of the two-power standard a wave of enthusiasm started in the colonies, resulting in the offer of dreadnoughts from New Zealand and elsewhere and the British government called an imperial conference to consider the whole question afresh. Land defense, though a secondary branch of the great question of imperial defense, has been intimately connected with the development and internal growth of the empire. In the case of the first settlement of the American colonies they were expected to provide for their own land defense. To some extent in the early part of their career they carried out this expectation, and even on occasion, as in the taking of Louisburg which was subsequently given back at the Peace of Alo Chapel as the price of the French evacuation of Madras, rendered public service to the Empire at large. In India the principle of local self-defense was from the beginning carried into practice by the East India Company, but in America the claim of the French wars proved too heavy for local resources. In 1755 Great Britain intervened with troops sent from home under General Braddock, and up to the outbreak of the American War the cost of the defense of the North American colonies was borne by the Imperial Exchequer. To meet this expense the Imperial Parliament took upon itself the right to tax the American colonies. In 1765 a quartering act was passed by which 10.000 Imperial troops were quartered in the colonies. As a result of the American War which followed and led to the loss of the colonies affected, the Imperial authorities accepted the charge of the land defenses of the Empire and with the exception of India and the Hudson Bay Territories, where the trading companies determined to pay their own expenses, the whole cost of imperial defense was borne, like the cost of the Navy, by the taxpayers of the United Kingdom. This condition of affairs lasted till the end of the Napoleonic Wars. During the Thirty Years' Peace which followed there came time for consideration. The fiscal changes which towards the middle of the 19th century gave to the self-governing colonies the command of their own resources very naturally carried with them the consequence that a call should be made on colonial exchequers to provide for their own governing expenses. Of these defenses obviously one of the most essential. Coincidentally, therefore, with the movements of free trade at home, 
the renunciation of what was known as the Mercadil system and the accompanying grants of constitutional freedom to the colonies. A movement for the reorganization of imperial defense was set on foot. In the decade which elapsed between 1846 and 1856 the movement as regards the colonies was confined chiefly to calls made upon them to contribute to their own defense by providing barracks, fortifications, and c. for the accommodation of imperial troops, and in some cases paying for the use of troops not strictly required for imperial purposes. In 1857 the Australian colonies agreed to pay the expenses of the imperial garrison quartered in Australia. This was a very wide step from the imperial attempt to tax the American colonies for a similar purpose in the preceding century. Nevertheless, in evidence given before a departmental committee in 1859, it was shown that at that time the colonies of Great Britain were free from almost every obligation of contributing either by personal service or money payment towards their own defense and that the cost of military expenditure in the colonies in the preceding year had amounted in round figures to L4.000.000. A committee of the House of Commons sat in 1861 to consider the question, and in 1862 it was resolved, without a division, that colonies exercising the right of self-government ought to undertake the main responsibility of providing for their own internal order and security, and ought to assist in their own external defense. The decision was accepted as the basis of imperial policy. The first effect was the gradual withdrawing of imperial troops from the self-governing colonies, together with the encouragement of the development of local military systems by the loan, when desired, of imperial military experts. A call was also made for larger military contributions from some of the crown colonies. The Committee of 1859 had emphasized in its report the fact that the principal dependence of the colonies for defense is necessarily upon the British Navy, and in 1865, exactly 100 years after the Quartering Act, which had been the cause of the troubles that led to the independence of the United States, a Colonial Naval Defense Act was passed which gave power to the colonies to provide ships of war, steamers, and volunteers for their own defense and in case of necessity to place them at the disposal of the Crown. In 1868 the Canadian Militia Act gave the fully organized nucleus of a local army to Canada. In the same year the Imperial troops were withdrawn from New Zealand, leaving the colonial militia to deal with the native war still in progress. In 1870 the last Imperial troops were withdrawn from Australia, and in 1873 it was officially announced that military expenditure in the colonies was almost wholly for Imperial purposes. In 1875 an imperial officer went to Australia to report for the Australian government upon Australian defense. The appointment in 1879 of the Royal Commission to consider the question of imperial defense, which presented its report in 1882, led to a considerable development and reorganization of the system of imperial fortifications. Coaling stations were also selected with reference to the trade routes. In 1885 rumors of war roused a very strong feeling in connection with the still unfinished and in many cases an armed condition of the fortifications recommended by the Commission of 1879. Military activity was stimulated throughout the Empire, and the Colonial Defense Committee was created to supply a much felt need for organized direction and advice to colonial administrations acting necessarily in independence of each other. The question of colonial defense was among the most important of the subjects discussed at the Colonial Conference held in London in 1887, and it was at this conference that the Australasian colonies first agreed to contribute to the expense of their own naval defense. 
from the state the principle of local responsibility for self-defense has been fully accepted. India has its own native army, and pays for the maintenance within its frontiers of an imperial garrison. Early in the summer of 1899, when hostilities in South Africa appeared to be imminent, the governments of the principal colonies took occasion to express their approval of the South African policy pursued by the imperial government, and offers were made by the governments of India, the Australasian colonies, Canada, Hong Kong, the federal Malay states, some of the West African and other colonies, to send contingents for active service in the event of war. On the outbreak of hostilities these offers, on the part of the self-governing colonies, were accepted and colonial contingents upwards of 30.000 strong were among the most efficient sections of the British fighting force. The manner in which these colonial contingents were raised, their admirable fighting qualities, and the service rendered by them in the field, disclosed altogether new possibilities of military organization within the empire, and in subsequent years the subject continued to engage the attention of the statesmen of the empire. Progress in this field lay chiefly in the increased support given in the colonial states to the separate local movements for self-defense, but in 1909 a scheme was arranged by Mr. Holday, by which the British War Office should company operate with the colonial governments in providing for the training of officers and an interchange of views on a common military policy. The important questions of justice, religion and instruction will be found dealt with in detail under the headings of separate sections of the empire. Systems of justice throughout the empire had a close resemblance to each other, and the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council, on which the self-governing colonies and India are represented, constitutes a Supreme Court of Appeal QV for the entire empire. In the matter of religion, while no imperial organization in the strict sense is possible, the progress made by the Lambeth Conferences and other YC Anglican Communion has done much to bring the work of the Church of England in different parts of the world into a company operative system. Religion, of which the forms are infinitely varied, is however everywhere free. V.04P.0615 Except in cases where the exercise of religious rights leads to practices for into accepted laws of humanity. It is perhaps interesting to state that the number of persons in the empire nominally professing the Christian religion is area code 58000000. Of Mohammedans area code 94000000. Of Buddhists area code 12000000. Of Hindus area code 208000000. Of Pagans and others area code 25000000. Systems of instruction, of which the aim is generally similar in the white portions of the empire and is directed towards giving to every individual the basis of a liberal education, are governed wholly by local requirements. Native schools are established in all settled communities under British rule. Literature. In recent years the subject of British imperialism has inspired a growing literature, and it is only possible here to name a selected number of the more important works which may fully be consulted on different topics. Sir C.P. Lucas. Historical Geography of the British Colonies 1888. Etsec. H.E. Gurdon. Short History of British Colonial Policy 1897. H.J. Mackinder. Britain and the British Seas 1902, Sir J.R. Seeley. Expansion of England 1883, Growth of British Policy 1895, Sir Charles Tilke. Greater Britain 1869, Problems of Greater Britain 1890, The British Empire 1899, G.R. Parkin. Imperial Federation 1892, Sir John Callum. Imperial Federation, 
Naval and Military 1886, Sir G.S. Clark, Imperial Defense 1897, Sydney Goldman and others, The Empire and the Century 1905, J.L. Garvin, Imperial Reciprocity 1903, J.W. Wellsford, The Strength of a Nation 1907, Compatriots Club Essays 1906, Sir H. Jenkins, British Rule and Jurisdiction Beyond the Seas 1902, Bernard Holland, Imperial Net Libertas 1901, Foreign Anti-Imperialist View J.A. Hobson, Imperialism 1902. See also the reports of the various colonial conferences, especially that of the Imperial Conference of 1907, and for trade statistics, J. Holt Schooling's British Trade Book. For the Tariff Reform Movement in England see the articles Free Trade and Protection, FLL. The census returns for 1901 from the various parts of the empire were condensed for the first time in 1906 into a blue book under the title of Census of the British Empire. Report with summary. The white population of British South Africa according to the census of 1904 was 1.132.226, or, board, as it became in 1605, British Honduras, formerly called Belize, or Belize, a British crown colony in Central America, bounded on the N and NW by the Mexican province of Yucatan, and E and E by the Bay of Honduras, an inlet of the Caribbean Sea, and S and W by Guatemala, for map. See Central America, Pop, 1905 40.372, Area, 7562 square meters, the frontier of British Honduras, as defined by the conventions of 1859 and 1893 between Great Britain and Guatemala, begins at the mouth of the river Sarstun or Sarstun, in the Bay of Honduras, ascends that river as far as the rapids of Gracias Adios, and thence, turning to the right, runs in a straight line to Garbutz Rapids, on the Belize River. From this point it proceeds to north to the Mexican frontier, where it follows the river Hondo to its mouth in Chetumal Bay. British Honduras differs little from the rest of the Yucatan Peninsula. The approach to the coast is through the islets known as Keys, and through coral reefs. It is both difficult and dangerous. For some miles inland the ground is low and swampy, thickly covered with mangroves and tropical jungle. Next succeeds a narrow belt of rich alluvial land, not exceeding a mile in width, beyond which, and parallel to the rivers, are vast tracts of sandy, arid land, called pine ridges, from the red pines with which they are covered, farther inland these give place, first, to the less elevated, broken ridges, and then to what are called, cahoon ridges, with a deep rich soil covered with myriads of palm trees, next come broad savannas, studded with clumps of, trees, through which the streams descending from the mountains wind in every direction, the mountains themselves rise in a succession of ridges parallel to the coast. The first are the Manatee Hills, from 800 to 1,000 feet high, and beyond these are the Coxcomb Mountains, which are about 4,000 feet high. No less than 16 streams, large enough to be called rivers, descend from these mountains to the sea, between the Hondo and Sarstun. The uninhabited country between Garbutz Rapids and the coast south of Deep River was first explored in 1879 by Henry Fowler, the colonial secretary of British Honduras, it was then found to consist of open and undulating grasslands, affording fine pasturage in the west and of forests full of valuable timber in the east. Its elevation varies from 1200 to 3300 feet or referous quartz and traces of other minerals have been discovered, but not in sufficient quantity to repay the cost of mining. The geology, Fauna and flora of British Honduras do not materially differ from those of the neighboring regions see Central America.
Although the colony is in the tropics, its climate is subtropical. The highest shade temperature recorded is 98 degrees F. The lowest 50 degrees easterly sea winds prevail during the greater part of the year. The dry season lasts from the middle of February to the middle of May. Rain occurs at intervals during the other months, and almost continuously in October, November and December. The annual rainfall averages about 811 to inches but rises in some districts to 150 inches or more. Cholera, yellow fever and other tropical diseases occur sporadically, but, on the whole, the country is not unhealthy by comparison with the West Indies or Central American states. Inhabitants, British Honduras is a little larger than Wales, and has a population smaller than that of Chester, England. In 1904 the inhabitants of European descent numbered 1500 the Europeans 253, and the white Americans 118. The majority belong to the hybrid race descended from Negro slaves, and original Indians and white settlers. At least six distinct racial groups can be traced. These consist of one native Indians, to be found chiefly in forest villages in the west and north of the colony away from the sea coast, to descendants of the English buccaneers, mixed with Scottish and German traders, three the woodcutting class known as Billy's Creoles of more or less pure descent from African Negroes imported, as slaves or as laborers, from the West Indies, for the Caribs of the southern districts, descendants of the population deported in 1796 from St. Vincent, who were of mixed African and Carib origin, five a mixed population in the south, of Spanish Indian origin, from Guatemala and Honduras, and six in the north another Spanish Indian group which came from Yucatan in 1848. The population tends slowly to increase, about 45 of the births are illegitimate, and males are more numerous than females. Many tracts of fellow land and forest were once thickly populated, for British Honduras has its ruined cities, and other traces of a lost Indian civilization, in common with the rest of Central America. Natural Products For more than two centuries British Honduras has been supported by its trade in timber, especially in mahogany, logwood, cedar and other dyewoods and cabinet woods, such as lignum vitae, festic, bullywood, santa maria, ironwood, rosewood, and sea. The colored inhabitants are unsurpassed as woodmen, and averse from agriculture, so that there are only about 90 square meters of tilled land, sugar cane, bananas, coconut palms, plantains, and various other fruits are cultivated, vanilla, sarsaparilla, sapodilla or chewing gum, rubber, and the cahoon or kyalt palm, valuable for its oil grow wild in large quantities. In September 1903 all the pine trees on Crown lands were sold to Mr. B. Chipley, a citizen of the United States, that one sent one to Deeper Tree, the object of the sale being to secure the opening up of a developed territory, and successful attempts have been made to establish sponge fisheries on a large scale. Chief Towns and Communications, Billy's Pop, in 1904-9969, the capital and principal seaport is described in a separate article. Other towns are Stan Creek 2459, Corosal 1696, Orange Walk 1244, Undegorda 706, The Cayo 421, Monkey River 384 and Mullins River 243. All these are administered by local boards, whose aggregate revenue amounts to some L7000. Telegraph and telephone lines connect the capital with Corosal in the north, and Undegorda in the south but there are no railways, and few good roads beyond municipal limits. Thus the principal means of communication are the steamers which ply along the coast, 
Mail steamers from New Orleans, Liverpool, Colon and Puerto Cortez in Honduras, regularly visit Belize, commerce and finance. Between 1901 and 1905 the tonnage of vessels accommodated at the ports of British Honduras rose from 300.000 to 496.465, the imports rose from L252.500 to L386.123, the exports from L285.500 to L377.623, the exports consist of the timber, fruit and other vegetable products already mentioned. Besides rum, deerskins, tortoiseshell, turtles and sponges, while the principal imports are cotton goods, hardware, beer, wine, spirits, groceries and specie, the seaborne trade is mainly shared by Great Britain and the United States. On the 14th of October 1894, the American gold dollar was adopted as the standard coin, in place of the Guatemalan dollar, and the silver of North, South and Central America ceased to be legal tender. Government notes are reissued to the value of 1, 2, 5, 10, 50 and 100 dollars, and there is a local currency of 1 cent bronze pieces, and of 5, 10, 25 and 50 cent silver pieces, the British sovereign and half-sovereign are legal tender. In 1846 the Government Savings Bank was founded in Belize, branches were afterwards opened in the principal towns, and in 1903 the British Bank of Honduras was established at Belize. The revenue, chiefly derived from customs, rose from L60.150 in 1901 to L68.335 in 1905. The expenditure, in which the cost of police V.04P.0616 and education are important items, rose, during the same period, from L51.210 to L61.800. The public debt, amounting in 1905 to L34.736 represents the balance due on three loans which were raised in 1885, 1887, and 1891, for public works in Belize. The loans are repayable between 1916 and 1923. Constitution and Administration From 1638 to 1786 the colonists were completely independent, and elected their own magistrates, who performed all judicial and executive functions. The customs and precedents thus established were codified and published under the name of Burnaby's Laws. After the visit of Admiral Sir W. Burnaby, in 1756, and were recognized as valid by the Crown, in 1786 a superintendent was appointed by the Home Government, and although this office was vacant from 1790 to 1797, it was revived until 1862. An executive council was established in 1839 and a legislative assembly, of three nominated and eighteen elected members, in 1853, British Honduras was declared a colony in 1862, with a lieutenant governor, subject to the governor of Jamaica, as its chief magistrate, in 1870 the legislative assembly was abolished, and a legislative council substituted the constitution of this body being fixed, in 1892, that three official and five unofficial members, in 1884 the lieutenant governor was created governor and commander-in-chief, and rendered independent of Jamaica. He is assisted by an executive council of three official and three unofficial members. For administrative purposes the colony is divided into six districts Belize, Corozal, Orange Walk, the Cayo, Stan Creek and Toledo. The capital of the last name is Gorda. the other districts take the names of their chief towns. 
English common law is valid throughout British Honduras, subject to modification by local enactments, and to the operation of the consolidated laws of British Honduras, this collection of ordinances, customs, and c. was officially revised and published between 1884 and 1888. Appeals may be carried before the Privy Council or the Supreme Court of Jamaica. Religion and Education The churches represented are Roman Catholic, Anglican, Wesleyan, Baptist and Presbyterian, but none of them receives assistance from public funds. The Bishopric of British Honduras is part of the West Indian province of the Church of England. Almost all the schools, secondary as well as primary, are denominational. School fees are charged, and grants and aid are made to elementary schools. Most of these, since 1894, have been under the control of a board, on which the religious bodies managing the schools are represented. Defense The Belize Volunteer Light Infantry Corps, raised in 1897, consists of about 200 officers and men, a mounted section, numbering about 40, was created in 1904, for the whole colony, the police number about 120, there is also a volunteer fire brigade of 335 officers and men, history, His Majesty's settlement in the Bay of Honduras, as the territory was formerly styled in official documents, owes, its origin, in 1638, to logwood cutters who had formerly been buccaneers. These were afterwards joined by agents of the chartered company which exploited the pearl fisheries of the Mosquito Coast. Although thus industriously occupied, the settlers so far retained their old habits as to make frequent descents on the logwood establishments of the Spaniards, whose attempts to expel them were generally successfully resisted. The most formidable of these was made by the Spaniards in April 1754, when, in consequence of the difficulty of approaching the position from the sea, an expedition, consisting of 1,500 men, was organized inland at the town of Peden. As it neared the coast, it was met by 250 British, and completely routed. The logwood cutters were not again disturbed for a number of years, and their position had become so well established that, in the Treaty of 1763 with Spain, Great Britain, while agreeing to demolish all fortifications which English subjects had erected in the Bay of Honduras, insisted on a clause in favor of the cutters of logwood, that they or their workmen were not to be disturbed or molested, under any pretext whatever, in their said places of cutting and loading logwood. Strengthened by the recognition of the crown, the British settlers made fresh encroachments on Spanish territory. The Spaniards, asserting that they were engaged in smuggling and other illicit practices, organized a large force, and on the 15th of September 1779, suddenly attacked and destroyed the establishment Apulis, taking the inhabitants prisoners to Merida in Yucatan, and afterwards to Havana, where most of them died. The survivors were liberated in 1782, and allowed to go to Jamaica. In 1783 they returned with many new adventurers, and were soon engaged in cutting woods, On the 3rd of September in that year a new treaty was signed between Great Britain and Spain, in which it was expressly agreed that His Britannic Majesty's subjects should have the right of cutting, loading, and carrying away logwood in the district lying between the River Wallace or Belize and Rio Hondo, taking the course of these two rivers for unalterable boundaries. These concessions were not to be considered as derogating from the rights of sovereignty of the King of Spain over the district in question where all the English dispersed in the Spanish territories were to concentrate themselves within 18 months. This did not prove a satisfactory arrangement, for in 1786 a new treaty was concluded, 
in which the king of Spain made an additional grant of territory, embracing the area between the rivers Sibonor, Jabon and Belize, but these extended limits were coupled with still more rigid restrictions. It is not to be supposed that a population composed of so lawless a set of men was remarkably exact in its observance of the treaty. They seem to have greatly annoyed their Spanish neighbors, who eagerly availed themselves of the breaking out of war between the two countries in 1796 to concert a formidable attack on Belize. They concentrated a force of 2,000 men at Campeche, which, under the command of General O'Neill, set sail in 13 vessels for Belize, and arrived on the 10th of July. 1798. The settlers, aided by the British sloop of war, Merlin, had strongly fortified a small island in the harbor, called Street George's Key. They maintained a determined resistance against the Spanish forces, which were obliged to retire to Campeche. This was the last attempt to dislodge the British. The defeat of the Spanish attempt of 1798 has been adduced as an act of conquest, thereby permanently establishing British sovereignty. But those who take this view overlook the important fact that, in 1814, by a new treaty with Spain, the provisions of the earlier treaty were revived. They forget also that for many years the British government never laid claim to any rights acquired in virtue of the successful defense, for so late as 1817-1819 the Acts of Parliament relating to Belize always refer to it as a settlement, for certain purposes, under the protection of His Majesty. After Central America had attained its independence 1819-1822 Great Britain secured its position by incorporating the provisions of the Treaty of 1786 in a new treaty with Mexico 1826, and in the drafts of treaties with New Granada 1825 and the United States of Central America 1831, the territories between the Belize and Sarstoon rivers were claimed by the British in 1836. The subsequent peaceful progress of the country under British rule, the exception of Belize from that provision of the clayton Bolur Treaty QV of 1850 which forbade Great Britain and the United States to fortify or colonize any point on the Central American mainland, and the settlement of the boundary. Disputes with Guatemala in 1859, finally confirmed the legal sovereignty of Great Britain over the whole colony, including the territories claimed in 1836. The Bay Islands were recognized as part of the Republic of Honduras in 1859. Between 1849, when the Indians beyond the Honda rose against their Mexican rulers, and 1901, when they were finally subjugated, rebel bands occasionally attacked the northern and northwestern marshes of the colony. The last serious raid was foiled in 1872. Bibliography. For all statistical matter relating to the colony, see the annual reports to the British Colonial Office London. For the progress of exploration. See a narrative of a journey across the unexplored portion of British Honduras, by H. Fowler Belize, 1879, and, An Expedition to the Coxcomb Mountains, by J. Bellamy, in Proceedings of the Royal Geographical Society, Volumes I, London, 1889. A good general description is given in the Handbook of British Honduras, by L. W. Bristol and Phoebe Wright Edinburgh, 1892 and the local history is recounted in the History of British Honduras, by A.R. Gibbs London, 1883, in Notes on Central America, by E.J. Squire New York, 1855, and in Belize or British Honduras, a paper read before the Society of Arts by Chief Justice Temple London, 1847, K.G.J.B.R.I.D.O.M.A.R.D.I.S., Sweet Maiden, an old Cretan goddess, later identified with Artemis, according to Kelly Mashu's Hindu Diana, 190. She was an nymph, 
the daughter of Zeus and Carmi, and a favorite companion of Artemis, being pursued by Minos, king of Crete, who was enamored of her, she sprang from a rock into the sea, but was saved from drowning by falling into some fishermen's nets. She was afterwards made a goddess by Artemis under the name of Dictina Greek, Dictuan, of E.04P.0617Net. She was the patroness of hunters, fishermen and sailors, and also a goddess of birth and health. The center of her worship was Sidonia, whence it extended to Sparta and Aegina where she was known as Athia and the islands of the Mediterranean. By some she is considered to have been a moon goddess. Her flight from Minos and her leak into the sea signifying the revolution and disappearance of the moon Quasania Zi. 30. The I. 14. And Ninus liberally is 40. Britain Ferry. A seaport in the mid-parliamentary division of Glamorganshire, Wales. On the eastern bank of the estuary of the Neath River in Swansea Bay. With stations on the Great Western and the Rhonda and Swansea Bay Railways. Being 174 meters by rail from London. Pop. Of Urban District 1901-6973. A tram line connects it with Neath, two meters distant, and the Vale of Neath Canal made in 1797 has its terminus here. The district was formerly celebrated for its scenery, but this has been considerably marred by industrial development which received its chief impetus from the construction in 1861 of a dock of 13 acres, the property of the Great Western Railway Company and the opening up about the same time of the mining districts of Glencorug and Marstic by means of the South Wales Mineral Railway, which connects them with the dock and supplies it with its chief export. Coal, steel and tin plates are manufactured here on a large scale. There are also ironworks and 